This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 14 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. John's here. Max is back. I know, I'm back. How's it going? Welcome back, Max. Thank you. It's good to be back. And now you're all married and stuff. I am indeed married now. That's fun. Oh, it's it's so so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> and it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Honestly, the the I, when we got the the license, it was it was ninety eight fifty, which uh, we paid for with a hundred dollar bill, which gave us a dollar and fifty cents in change, and that is precisely the amount of change that I have experienced since getting married. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I guess that's kind of how it works when you're living with the person for like five years prior and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I think it's. Four years. Oh, whatever. Close enough. Well, congratulations nonetheless. It was a hell of a party. Yes. It was. It went off without a hitch. Everything went really well until the honeymoon when we both got really bad colds. Oh. Oh. Well, that's fun. Yeah. It was okay, though. I mean, it was was the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. With a really bad cold about the Best place you can be with a coal. That's good. Yeah. I went to that ice cream place that you were talking about, by the way, at the Beach yeah. Club. Oh, my God. That place is amazing. It's pretty good. Oh, my God. It's yeah. like right there. I loved that place. Anyway, enough of wedding talk and all yeah, that. Let's talk stuff. about ice cream. All oh, right. <laughs> William Shatner. Let's talk about William Shatner. The only thing better than marriage. William Shatner. Right? Yeah. He's certainly proven it several times. <laughs> yes. He apparently likes it a lot. All right, William Shatner, you know, back when we came up with this idea for this show, you know, and we had like, just just like any show, just like with Star Trek, we had a number of ideas in place. And when we were pitching mm-hmm. it to like Chris here at Trek FM and stuff, we were like, these are the types of shows that we could do. We could do something like this, where we talk about Ron Moore or something like this, where we talk about J.J. J. Abrams. Or we could think outside of the box. For example, we could do a series on William Shatner where we look at uh, what what I like to call the Shatnerverse, uh, the series of movies in which he plays himself. And we can look at sort of like that, his arc as a character in, in like fictional movies. And I said, or a good idea. This is the best idea. It's, this was sort you of know like, this, is, this goes in the pantheon. This is the Hall of Fame of ideas right now. This is the William Shatner of ideas, right? <laughs> Uh, that's what I think, anyway. I think this might be the, is there no truth in beauty? You know, that's a good episode. That's a solid, it's not a good episode, but it's a really interesting concept for an episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Stay I'm tuned. Still trying to work we the just math out summed on that up. one. That's like Bilbo's <laughs> compliment at his birthday dinner. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means, but yes. Yes, I agree. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending you a copy of Lord of the Rings, okay? I Done. don't want to read that thing. You're going to read it. Those, those movies took like five years to watch, and I, I'm not going to... No, it's well, not but happening. Even if you're like literal about it, it only took three years to watch them. <laughs> and it they would have been like better five. with William Shatner. <laughs> yeah, how come? If they would have had Shatner as Mordor, then I would have been like, yeah. Mordor's a place! <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> He you could are have the worst person. He could have pulled it off. Tell me he couldn't pull it off. Um, if anyone could, it would be William Shatner. Anyway, uh, we're finally doing this. It took us 118 episodes, but we're finally getting around to William Shatner looking at the movies in which he plays himself, of which there are five. Who knew? You know? But there are. All right, so so what we're going to do this week in preparation for this series, just like we, we do for every series, is we're going to take a look at William Shatner's work in Star Trek. Seems pretty obvious, but, you know, hopefully we'll find some hidden gems in there somewhere. 
So, before we do that, William Shatner, as on the whole, as an entity, as a being, as as everything he is and more. As a trickster god or an Olympian. Right, any of those things. He was Max. in Battle of the Stars, Battle of the Network Stars. Or Denny Crane. Denny Crane. Oh, Denny Crane. Hmm. Max, what are your thoughts on William Shatner? Like a lot of Star Trek fans, I think there was a point where I loved him, and then I learned that he had some sort of problem with being Captain Kirk, and then I kind of hated him. And then over the years, I kind of came to terms with the idea that maybe he didn't quite understand his own importance, and maybe considering his ego that's for the best because if he really knew how amazing his thing on star trek was then he might be even more intolerable i suppose that's that's possible so so for a long time i had a hard time dealing with him as a guy and then and then like a few things happened where i heard him sort of mentioned like i'm actually kind of proud of my work on star trek and and he, he realized that he was kind of a silly person and he became funny and he and he revealed that his his acting abilities were never lost they were always there he just didn't really know what to do with them for a while partly because other people didn't know what to do with him yeah and then captains um and Boston Legal, and his talk show, and I'm doing this way out of order for some reason. That's okay. But there were there was a series of events that basically led to me going like, I've I loved him, I love him. He's he's awesome to me. I'm, I I I want to see him in more things, and I have a hard time thinking of him as anything other than uh, an always ever present solid gold potential object for any movie or TV show or stand-up comedy special, but really not albums. Oh, his albums are amazing, and one day I hope that we can cover that. Uh, and I know that Chris does, too, because he wants to be on on that series. But yeah. uh, we, we will get to that at some point in the future. What about you, John? What are your thoughts on William Shatner? I never passed through any phase where I didn't love him. Uh, now, I don't know him personally, so it's not, you know, I don't love him in, in that fraternal sense or anything like that, but I've always loved the fact that of all of the Star Trek actors, he really seemed, I, I guess the touchstone is that, that SNL skit back when Star Trek IV came out, and the, the infamous Get a Life skit that turned the fan base against him. Where I he, remember that. He got up there and he completely just mocked everything. And, the, and then there was another skit where the Enterprise was a revolving restaurant and they no, made fun of the whole con thing. Love Boat. And no, Love Boat was Picard. Yeah, Love Boat was Picard. And, oh, then I don't know but, what skit you're talking about. Oh, gosh, it's a great skit. I'm sure it's on Hulu oh. or YouTube or something. Uh, but I, I've never once. Uh, disliked his embrace of the absurdity of it all. He really has always, to me, come across as a guy that never took it seriously, and I suppose that could be a knock from one perspective. But from my perspective, it's... For him, it's all just fun and games. I, I've never gotten the sense that like he took it too seriously, probably because he didn't take it seriously enough. But I just, I've always enjoyed his sort of bigger-than-life zest for everything. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I don't, you know, I, I, it took me a while to come around to the the brilliance of Shatner, which I know is going to sound weird for uh, uh, people who are familiar with <laughs> with me from this show and 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 others, uh, since I'm, you know, like the biggest William Shatner fan in the world these days. But you know, I, even though like the movies were my introduction to Star Trek. Uh, I really sort of grew up with The Next Generation. That was the show which was on every night, and that was really my first uh, true Star Trek love. And um, the original series was just kind of this thing, and I, I never disliked it or anything like that, but 
I, you know, I, I always related to, you know, Captain Picard more because he's the one that I was more familiar with and everything like that. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years later when I started hanging out at um, our local comic book store uh, where our friend uh, Josh worked. And Josh started talking about how awesome William Shatner was. And, you know, I'd be like, well, I mean, yeah, he's Captain Kirk and everything, but, you know, and, and he'd be like, no, man, he's the best. Look at this. Look look at what he did here. And then look at this thing, you know, where he's, you know, talking to, t- telling a story about meeting uh, Coco the, the gorilla or, oh, or, I, or I look at that story. <laughs> it's a great story. Or, or, or look at his rendition of Rocket Man or, or check out this movie that he's in, you know, which is in Esperanto or whatever, you know, and I started like finding all of these little hidden gems basically through Josh and I'm like you know he is really kind of awesome because he sort of takes this Captain Kirk persona into everything that he does and he is larger than life and it does seem like he has this sort of joy of of life about him and he's willing to be goofy and willing to be over the top and um, that that thing that everyone makes fun of him for is really like a thing which he's doing intentionally, and and he's he's completely aware of his decisions, and he embraces them. And there's something like really uh, really wonderful about that. And it was uh, right around the time that you know the the first movie in this series came out, Free Enterprise, where Josh started talking about how amazing this idea was and and everything, you know, like a year before this thing even came out and then started talking about what it was that he did in the movie before I had seen it. And when I saw Free Enterprise, I think that's when it completely solidified for me where I was like, oh my God, William Shatner is like um, the, the... the, the best thing to ever come out of Canada. And and I say that as someone who loves Canada. <laughs> you know, I mean it's it's just like this 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 amazing force of nature that is William Shatner and, and I love everything about it. Agreed. So so William Shatner, obviously best known as Captain Kirk on Star Trek. And he kind of made that role. Now, John, what what are your thoughts on his portrayal of Captain Kirk? Uh, can't imagine it working with anybody else. Uh, I yes, I know we have the reboots, and Chris Pine is doing a fine job as a character named Captain Kirk. But uh, you know, it, it almost belabors the point to just sort of be like, I I remember understanding his portrayal of Kirk for the first time, like really truly understanding it when they released that double disc of the, um, the soundtrack for the motion picture. And they had the second disc that was Roddenberry giving behind the scenes info. And he interviewed DeForest Kelly and he interviewed Mark Leonard in character as Sarek. And he interviewed William Shatner. Yeah. And, Everybody he interviewed was either in character or taking things really seriously. And it was, you could hear Shatner smiling through the entire thing. And it recolored how I saw his approach to the character. He wasn't approaching it as this great big method acting workshop role. He was taking it as this is a bigger than life sort of hero figure and that's that's why it works. It, that's why he's such a convincing anchor, regardless of which version of Kirk you're watching, whether it's original series or the movies, or even when he has the, you know, I mean, it, it's basically a guest starring role in Generations. His portrayal of Kirk is so definitive. It's so just spot on for what that series needed and what the ensemble as a whole needed for that nuclear character that, you know, it's easy to make fun of the speech patterns, people parody it all the time, and yeah, there are cheesy moments and, you know, really ham-fisted acting at times, 
but it works and it's what was needed. And it, you know, it's just, it's from, you know, from a different era of television first. And then, you know, the movies were just bigger than life explorations of things. Now I will say that his better Kirk performances are two and six when he obviously had a director who was able somehow to rein him in versus I think Nimoy let him sort of just run with it in three and four. And then of course there's five. And I think in motion picture, you can definitely get a sense that he didn't really want to commit to it, but you know, just a, you know, it's a wonderful lifetime performance. It's a perfect counterbalance to Nimoy's arc with Spock. Yeah, you know, I mean, th- th- there's something to that. Like, y- you know, what you're saying about his best performances being in two and six. Like, even with that, you know, like two, it's extremely over the top. I mean, when he yells Khan, everyone loves it. And it yeah. is like one of the best moments in cinematic history and all that good stuff. But it is extremely over the top and, you know, uh, not at all realistic, almost comedic and yet completely appropriate for the material. And that really is sort of what is going on in uh, the original series. What you were saying about it being, you know, from another time is is really true. It's like his performance fits the aesthetic of the show. You know, it, it is bright colors, uh, crazy aliens, you know, jumping kicks and judo yeah. chops, and his performance fits right in with all of that. If he were to play it like Patrick Stewart plays Captain Picard, it wouldn't have worked. It needs to be over the top. It needs to be playful and fun. And the result is awesome. It's he, His performance as Captain Kirk is so good that it's it's kind of ridiculous. And I think um, the, the the qualities that he brings to it, which people tend to make fun of, are the exact qualities which make it great. And I, I agree that I can't really see anyone else as Captain Kirk, even though I do like what Chris Pine is doing in it. And as a side note, if anyone wants to see Chris Pine channel William Shatner like to a degree which is not present anywhere in these new movies, check out Into the Woods. I yes. Good call. Have you yes. seen it? I, I have seen it, and you're absolutely right. In uh, When he sings Agony, there's mm-hmm. definitely some twinges of Shatner peeking through there. Or even when he runs it, down the steps and he finds the shoe, the way he delivers oh, the yeah. lines. It's he's it's a total Shatner performance. It's the, the really the only reason to watch that movie. Agreed. But, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but it's worth it just to see that, just to see what it would be like if Pine went full Shatner. So, Max, what, what about you? What do you think about Shatner's performance as Captain Kirk? Um, I, I, I have a hard time thinking of anything that either of you have said that is com- at, at all right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> like, there's, there's actually nothing all that over the top about his performance in the original series. It's actually fairly restrained and typical for the era and the genre and oh, the other um, actors on the show. I mean, he he actually seems to have more range than most of them, probably because he demanded more range than most of them. I definitely think that's true. He does have more range, and he knows when to pull it back. And in episodes like City on the Edge of Forever, he's not over the top. But then right. you look at, like, Enemy Within. Yes. And look at and Enemy the Within other or... people on screen with him during those episodes. Yeah. yeah but... Like, he's not really over the top. Oh, please. Okay. When he delivers the, the Constitution speech. And he's he's playing, like, the drama of the episode. Like, it was the show. The It was TV at the time. Like... That's part of it. That's part of it for sure. Okay, but, I think that there's there's this there's this logic that that is extrapolated by taking Star Trek, a show from the '60s, and analyzing it from a modern perspective. And you have to constantly go: Do we take the acting on the Twilight Zone as seriously as we would on a modern 
science fiction thriller? And the answer is, of course, no. We expect it to be overly dramatic and a little bit operatic and a little bit less plausible and down-to-earth because the fact is, I mean, there are a lot of different factors that go into it, but, I mean, like, one big part of it is that we can see all the details on screen a lot better. And when somebody has a minor little facial twitch, we can see it now. So you don't have to be loud and say your emotions as much. So I think, to a great extent... A lot of the acting differences are the result of it being from the 60s. What I would just say, though, is that, yeah, you know, I, th- I think we acknowledge that there's definitely a, you know, a, a, an aspect of the era that influences the performance. But at the same time, Shatner is very, he's very, very theatrical. He's very stage performance. And contrast that with Nimoy or even with um, Kelly. They're, they're both next to him and they're more restrained. And... The, like, you know, when you get to when he recites, I forget the name of the episode right now. I'm blanking right now. But when he recites the Constitution, you know, we hold these truths to be he's giving like yeah. a school play right there. And it's so yeah. overblown. And it's like Omega on a totally glory, different scale. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're that, that he's doing something that is indistinguishable from everyone else's thing. I'm saying that he is the star of the show so he's obviously going to be more dramatic he's obviously going to have the big speeches he's obviously going to be less restrained than the rest of them i mean i i don't know if that's necessarily true but um i mean i kind of see what you're saying i guess but like i think it also extends to star trek 2 where the the, the the shape of the show dictated what the the shape of the films were. And in the first movie, there was this attempt to reinvent the show in this new form. And the reinvention was do everything restrained. So restrained that maybe the audience just leaves without realizing that the movie wasn't over. <laughs> and in Star Trek II, the thought was, let's recapture the energy and dramatic quality of the show where there are dire consequences and the ship literally might explode at any time, which is why Scotty is always stressed and sweating for no reason. Uh, and that attempt to reinvent it in this new form resulted in them recapturing some of the dramatic elements of the 1960s TV show. And some of it is archaic you could call it a kind of um, generational artifact and that kind of thing happens and it still happens it's even in the new movies there are generational artifacts of the 1960s in those movies like there it's it's an unavoidable reality like william shatner is not a fundamentally strange or unusual actor he's a good actor who was a leading man in the 1960s, and he had the leading role in a science fiction show that put him on a spaceship fighting aliens week to week. William Shatner was not William Shatner until he was Captain Kirk. I mean, I guess that's probably true. Okay, but but regardless of what we think about it and whether or not you agree with our analysis of William Shatner's performance... What is your uh, take on William Shatner as Captain Kirk? I mean, I guess, I don't know, I, do, you, do you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, like, divorcing it from saying, like, look, he's not what you guys are saying. He's this. I mean, no, I'm like, saying he made Captain Kirk what he was. Okay. All right. And Captain Kirk, aside from William Shatner, if you, extru- if you extrapolate a Captain Kirk out of the show, out of time, and took all the pieces, like, like went through the character and pulled every bit of Shatner out of him. He would not really be much left. But if you took Captain Kirk out of William Shatner, he would just be some actor. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, just real quick, I, I want to hit on something uh, tying into, Max, what you said and Mike, what you said, I, I think it just crystallized for me. Yeah, they were trying to reinvent the series in the motion picture, and I think that you see what would have happened had they tried Captain Kirk in the Next Generation template. And I think that 
that finally crystallized for me as to one of the things that went wrong with that movie. That it suddenly came into focus while you guys were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. So everyone knows Captain Kirk was played by William Shatner, and that's obviously what Shatner is best known for in Star Trek. But, you know, the thing that, that maybe doesn't get talked about quite as much is William Shatner's talents as a director, uh, which are demonstrated in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yes. Now, John. Which one is that? <laughs> is the one with the whales? It's the one with the rock monsters. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, oh. sadly, the rock monsters didn't appear. <laughs> is that the one where he drowns a cat woman for no reason? <laughs> yes. That's there the was one, plenty by of the good way... reason to drown the cat woman in that movie, okay? She was, she was attacking him. That was self-defense. <laughs> he but... leaves her face down <laughs> in a pool of water. She's trying to kill and him. She wasn't trying to kill him. She was trying to she kill him. She was trying to stop him from Mm-mm. stopping somebody no, no, else. No, no, Did you hear? I have a cat. Did you hear all of that meowing? That was going on while she attacked him. She was trying to kill him. She's trying to sever his head from his neck. He was acting in self defense on Nimbus Three. Oh my God, Sean! You got to watch that scene again. Trust me, I've <laughs> Very seen clearly. Was I, I just tried to hurt him. But by the way, uh, just kind of a, a cross plug here on on uh, this week's episode of Standard Shatner? Are Orbit. Are you doing this as Shatner? <laughs> no. Sorry. In this week's episode of Standard Orbit, Drew and I do a commentary for the animated series episode Mud's Passion, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I point this out there, but if you look at that episode, it is basically a 25-minute animated version of Star Trek V. It's even got a Catwoman in it. Gonna have to so, watch it. Yeah, go go watch it. It's terrible, but... Um, Isn't it on Netflix now? It is on Netflix. Check well, it out. Maybe I'll stop watching. I, I have a very, very special relationship with Star Trek V that uh, I love it. I love every moment of it, and it's almost in a Stockholm Syndrome sort of sense because it many, definitely is. many years ago, uh, first off, it was the first Star Trek movie I saw in the theater. Second, many years ago, uh, a girlfriend broke up with me, and I was, you know, you know, you, you, I'd been going out with her for three years, so, you know, you go through all the emotions, but I couldn't sleep, and it was like a week and a half where I couldn't sleep, and I kept trying to turn on movies, and, you know, Star Wars was keeping me too interested. Star Trek Two, I'm too interested. And, you know, I'm going through all of these movies. I know them really well. I'm trying to be able to... Star Trek Five became the first time I was able to fall asleep in a week and a half. And so I wound up putting on the movie every single night for like a month because it would lull me to sleep. And I wound up basically listening to the entire movie in my... And so basically I have it memorized. And it's, it's like imprinted in my brain through like sleep... You know, it was like Dr. Marvin Monroe's tapes from The Simpsons. It got into my head, and as a result, I have this tremendous emotional affinity for it. And I can actually peel away some of the problems with it and see the good inside of it, like the the stuff that's worth enjoying. And I, I think that it's commentary. It's social commentary about self-help and, you know, recognizing and accepting our pain and how it helps define us. That's still relevant, and more people should listen to it. So... I tend to defend Star Trek V. John, this is the saddest story I've ever <laughs> it heard is not. in my life. It is not the saddest story because it has a great ending. Parents dying in car crashes, <laughs> and then like they did, like at the hospital, the doctor's like, "What's that on your face? Oh, you have melanoma. You're gonna die." And then their dog just explodes. <laughs> And that is less sad than the story you just told. It is. Listen, man, it has a great ending because I got I got good sleep, and I, I swear I, to God, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> well, see, we there's the positive spin something. to the story right there. I've brought joy to your life. Joy? Yeah, <laughs> catharsis. You're getting rid of all the negative emotions. You'll feel better at the end of it. Did you learn nothing from Star Trek V? <laughs> you don't want to get rid of your negative emotions. They make you who you are. John, your story, not only is the saddest <laughs> story in the world, but is the story of your failure. I'm more like Cybok than Kirk. That's the whole thing. 
All right. Well, you know, what what about you, Max? What are what are your feelings on on Star Trek Five? I don't know anymore. More 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 importantly than that, I mean, like, what what do you think about Shatner's uh, contribution to it? Who cares at this point? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. For me, like Star Trek Five was. Uh, I just want to meet God and not give him a starship. Okay. <laughs> for for me, Star Trek Five was kind of like, uh, well, it was it was the Star Trek movie that I watched where I was like, you know, after seeing two, three, and four, after being disappointed by one and then loving two, three, and four, I very anxiously put on five the next morning after watching that trilogy for the first time, if you want to call it a trilogy. And I was like, I don't. No, I don't either. Actually, no, <laughs> it's not it a trilogy. Um, and and I watched Star Trek Five, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not good. But <laughs> you know, just like any Star Trek fan, I uh, watched all the movies repeatedly because you know that's just what you do, whether you like them or not. Because I don't know why people do that. I mean, that's kind of like the point of this show is to say, like, stop stop watching the crappy Star Trek just because you think that's all that there's out there. Go out and watch some movies that aren't Star Trek, like Showtime, which we'll be talking about in yeah. a few weeks. <laughs> and I also want to throw a challenge flag here on your, you enjoy Star Trek 3? Because Star Trek 3 is, listen, I, I defend Star Trek 5 because of my whole weirdness and the and the whole tragic story, but Star Trek Three is a pretty bad movie. Star Trek Three is at least as bad as Star Trek Five. Star Trek Three is worse than Star Trek Five. Yeah, Thank let's you. not get Max started on Star Trek Three, please. No, let's get me started <laughs> no, on Star not. Trek. No, because 3. that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about right now. Oh, it has <laughs> a little bit to do with everything. <laughs> but you know, it's the thing about Star Trek Five is. When I look at it now, especially like I've I've taken like a, a heavy interest in it because of my love of Shatner, and I kind of see it as like an extension of that persona, of the Shatner persona. And when I look at it from that angle, I kind of love it in the same way that people love Shatner's performances. I see it as just this sort of goofy nutball thing. And it's like the beginning, I don't think you you even need to defend the beginning. Like everything up until they get back on the starship I think is really solid. All the stuff on uh, at Yosemite and, and everything like that, I think that that's great. And Sorry, I think we're not recording my facial expression. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I am recording it. your facial expressions. Oh, so. good. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> but um the 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 end of it the 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 last uh half is kind of dumb of course but uh i still love it for its sort of campy nature you know i mm-hmm. i i love um the, the the goofiness of it and and the sort of like almost stupidity of it like the things that make it bad are kind of the things that i love it and i hate it when people say like oh this movie is so bad it's good like there's something about that which i just find to be very strange it's only true for one movie I, anyway what's that troll 2 troll 2 okay what about the room the room's in that conversation yeah i haven't seen either of those movies what? um but Come on. yeah what's no. the room Tommy okay. Wiseau. We'll, we'll have to go see The Room someday. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't count. Troll uh, 2 is so bad, it's good. Okay. But Star Trek Five has that kind of thing going for it, where you watch it and you're just like... God, how did I forget them? What the hell are they doing in this movie? This is insane to think that they thought that this was a thing to do. I love it now. I love seeing... And, and there is some, a lot of stuff in there which I think is really good. I think that he is a good director. I think that sometimes he makes bad choices. But I think that he is a good director, as evidenced by the fact that that opening uh, credit sequence was completely ripped off by John Woo for Mission Impossible 2. Who Take never a look at it. makes oh, yeah. a mistake. No, and especially not in that movie. John Woo has never made an error. No, no, <laughs> unless you count Paycheck. Broken Arrow. Yeah, Broken Arrow, that was another one. Yeah, Broken Arrow was pretty bad. Also a bunch of other ones. Yeah, a few other ones here and there. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I love Star Trek V mainly because it was directed by Shatner. There's just something about that which which I find to be fascinating and, and, and amazing. And it's sort of like a perfect storm of, like, weirdness in that movie, which just comes across on the screen, and it's great. It's great to watch uh, from that perspective. So, so there you go. Um. Any any final thoughts on William Shatner's work in Star Trek, uh, John? Award-winning, although I don't think he ever won an award for it, but he should have. He totally should have won awards for it. I agree. Max? He definitely should have won some awards. Yes, he should have. Anything Not else? for Star Trek Five. <laughs> Not for Star Trek Five. But... Well, for most of the other ones, though. Yeah, for for me, I mean, I, I think it's amazing. Like we've been saying, you know, I, I agree with you guys. His performance is one of the best in television history. Uh, you know, like you look at Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six. That's some of the best in movie history. And I, I think that uh, his contribution to Star Trek Five, while maybe not tremendously good, is fascinating and awesome and kind of a tour de force. And and I love it. I love that it exists. I think that that's amazing. Okay, so now before we go, now John, you and Charlene touched on uh, the new Star Trek writing team last week, which yes. is uh, Simon Pegg and Doug Young. Um, for those people who may have missed it or haven't heard for whatever reason, the new writers of Star Trek Thirteen are Simon Pegg and Doug Young. Sim- Simon Pegg. Um, he, he is the, well, guy who plays Scotty, but yep. he has also written, um, five movies as far as I can tell. He wrote the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. And then he also, uh, did a rewrite of Run, Fat Boy, Run. Oh, I've seen that. That's the movie with that chick from Mission Impossible 2? Yeah, Tandy Newton. Yeah. All right. And, and he also... Tandy Computers Newton. Yep. <laughs> and he also uh, wrote or co-wrote um, Paul, Greg Matola's movie. Matola? Matola? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, forget, I always forget yeah. about Paul. Yeah. That to me is that's my favorite Simon Pegg script. I always forget about Dave. Dave? Yeah, that's yeah, you know Kevin Klein, yeah, yeah, yeah. President. yeah, Ivan Reitman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I I like all those movies, and uh, I like some of them a lot. I really, really love Paul actually, but my uh, love, I guess you could say, for Simon Pegg is looks like hate in comparison to Max's love for Simon Pegg. Uh, so, Max, I, I really want to know what your thoughts are on um, Simon Pegg writing Star Trek. Now, I mean, just to 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 preface this for those people who may not know, I mean, am I right in thinking that uh, one of the movies which you consider to be the best of all time, if not the best of all time, is Shaun of the Dead, right? Sure. So what, how do you feel about the co-writer of Shaun of the Dead now working in Star Trek as a writer? Um, not very much. Yeah. I don't really think that there's... I don't think that there's a lot of great possibilities with the franchise right now. I think that there's too much writing on success there's not enough flexibility there's not enough freedom i mean like one of the reasons why Shaun of the dead was so good was that they made it out of nothing and they made it without an expectation like they they shaped a thing out of nothing and that's not happening anymore and it and i that hardly ever happens and I don't really think that there's a way to recapture that sort of like creative uh, magic in the context of a franchise that has to make a certain quantity of millions of dollars. I, I kind of see what you're saying and you know it's interesting because I was just watching this interview with the Wachowskis 
um, where they were talking about something that actually uh, we were discussing on our other show off topic a few weeks ago in regards to the Matrix, where, um, you know, I think you were saying that, you know, the Matrix is a uh, a product of the Star Wars generation in that yeah. uh, it is what should have been the natural response to Star Wars and you know, that's not what most people have done. You know, instead, like J.J. Abrams, instead of making his Star Wars, he's making his Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that uh, the Wachowskis were talking about in this interview was that, yeah, they were a product of the Star Wars generation. And the thing that you see in that generation with movies like Star Wars and Jaws and Raiders and everything is original properties you know, which are not based on any books or anything like that. And they were all sort of amazing, and that's sort of what they wanted to do. They wanted to do The Matrix. They've got Jupiter Ascending coming out uh, today and, you know, all that stuff. And um, there, were, there was just something about that, you know, when, when they were talking about it, where I was like, yeah, I, I see what they're saying. And, and it does kind of make me... Uh, sad that a lot of you know stuff is franchise driven these days but at the same time star trek is sort of this anomaly i think in that sense whereas it's not like the fast and the furious for example where every movie is faster and more furious or anything like that star trek is such a a huge universe that theoretically it's it's it should be a playground in which you can um you know, play with different ideas and and things like that, and and while you know maybe it's not as great as uh, an original work by Sh- by Simon Pegg, I, I can definitely get excited over the idea of Simon Pegg playing in that playground. I so mean, I, think- I mean, if you okay, I mean, let's let's look at it this way, and i I see what you're saying about it being like a property that needs to make certain millions in the place that the franchise is at right now and everything like that, but in terms of like you know looking at it let's say let's let's just say a bit more optimistically um if you could have anyone play in that playground and let's say they're given free reign, let's see they don't have to write a script in two months or whatever and all this stuff i mean. Wouldn't Simon Pegg be one of the people up pretty high on that list of people who you would want to see make a Star Trek movie? No. No? Okay. That's interesting. That's weird. All right. Fair enough. I would want somebody who didn't care, who would maybe destroy it. Okay. I would want Kim Jong-un. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe one day. Um... And, and I that, would be more excited about Simon Pegg doing, like, it doesn't matter that it's a franchise. What matters is that there are expectations and demands and, and a re- responsibility to not fail the franchise. But he has been in that situation before with Run, Fat Boy, Run, and, you know, he came up. Oh, yes. Really Run, solid. Fat Boy, Run was uh, exactly the same thing as <laughs> Star Trek Three. I'm just saying, you know. No, no, you're right. They are one to one. They are an exact. Got to that that combination has to be the subject of the first episode of CTS to one because it is a one to one ratio. All right, they are right. the exact same situation. Run, fat boy, run, and the next Star Trek movie are basically the same film. You know, David Schwimmer directed Run Fat Boy. Yes, okay. I know that. Right. David anyway. Schwimmer, totally great as Ross and Friends. He's a halfway decent director. Mm-hmm. And basically might as well be directing the next Star Trek movie. That'd be it's interesting. Basic. Flip a coin, either way. David Schwimmer, Justin Lin, same thing. <laughs> I don't even know which one is which if you show me two pictures of them. Okay, so now let's talk about uh, Doug Young a little bit, just because he's sort of the wild card here and that a lot of people don't know his work. Uh, as you guys talked about last week, he did uh, Confidence, and he is also the creator of the TV show Dark Blue, and now is working on a show called Banshee. Now, uh, I've seen Confidence. Max, have you seen Confidence? Yeah. And 
John, you haven't seen Confidence. Right? No, I have. Oh, you have? I have. Okay. Yeah. And are we all in agreement that it's a decent movie? It is decent. Oh, my God. It's like totally... Honestly, I forgot immediately <laughs> after I saw it. it. It may be that, but it's it's also decent. It's also decent. It's not... Is it? You know, I, I never had the desire to go back you, and watch it again, but I do not. I do not remember having anything against it. We'll have to watch or it for this show. anything yeah. of it. Okay. And, and have you guys seen Dark Blue? No, I haven't. Yeah, and what do you think about Dark Blue, Max? Yeah. No. Okay. I mean, hey, <laughs> I don't hate it. Okay. That's saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So we we shall see what this new team brings. But uh, it's exciting times in Star Trek. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about William Shatner. And his work in Star Trek. But that's not all that we're talking about this week on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I really, really, really hope that if they do that, they make Chang the villain. Because, you know, Captain Chang instead of General Chang or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? I mm-hmm. mean, that just seems like the perfect way to go. Earl Grey. All right, Riker, we're promoting you to captain. I mean, you uh, you killed the last captain. We usually don't reward that. That's usually not a policy. But in this case... Well, well, to be fair, he had spent some time on a Klingon ship. The Orb. But the Federation and Bajor as a member of the Federation would be helping rebuild Cardassia. And I could see like very much the relationship between the U.S. and Japan today. I could see the Federation and Cardassia having that kind of relationship moving forward. To the journey! Julie has a very distinct pain noise. Yeah, she you know kind what I'm of talking does. About? It sounds sort of like she's suffocating. Yeah, it sounds like she's suffocating and sometimes, and I'm going to keep it clean, not always in pain. The ready room. He is the best cosplayer ever because he's so buried himself in his part that we have no idea who this guy is outside of the impersonation of Tuvok. Exactly. He's the Christian Bale of the Delta Quadrant. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. If I'm not mistaken, in any upcoming episode of Next Generation, we don't see full-grown golden retrievers running around the decks of the Enterprise. And I'm also a little worried that Captain Picard has never played with puppies. Commentary, Trek stars. But you'd rather see Red in charge than him. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Because you really want porn stash to go down. Yes, yes, you do. And that sentence out of context sounds really strange. Literary treks. As great as Picard is and his Picard maneuver, uh, I don't think Picard straightening his shirt is going to help him uh, <laughs> when he's going up against the Riker maneuver. Fair enough, yeah. So. Axonar, the official podcast. The changes that we've made, the change to the nacelles and uh, several other aspects of these ships to make them distinct and, and not the same ships as uh, in, in Star Trek 2009. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and uh, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit Trek.fm slash no, don't don't visit that because I don't think it's accurate anymore. Just go to Trek.fm. You'll find it there. You'll find them all there. Yes. All right. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Uh, Audible is the premier source of audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of your most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation. Actually, I don't think Spock's World is on there anymore, so uh, sorry. Um, But it does have something for everyone, even Star Trek The Ashes of Eden, which was the first novel 
for Star Trek, written by William Shatner. And it's also narrated by William Shatner. One of the most gripping and personal Star Trek stories ever told, The Ashes of Eden provides a new understanding of one of science fiction's greatest heroes, as written and read by William Shatner. Does it have the runtime? It's two hours and 38 minutes. Does it have the runtime without the pauses? (laughs) (laughs) If you ran it through that filter, uh, it would probably be like, uh, an hour and a half, but an hour and a half, maybe nine minutes. <laughs> but you can get it for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30 day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel, novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way that you can help us out here on the network, and that's by going to patreon.com slash trekfm and becoming a patron of the network. Uh, you know, there's different uh, donation levels for you to choose from with the different uh, categories of rewards and things like that, bonus content or producer credit, uh, all sorts of things. And uh, every little bit helps. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated. So just go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And uh, help us out. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this. John, where can people find you on the Internet? They can find me crawling around Twitter at Kessel Junkie, and they can find me on a weekly podcast called Words with Nerds. It drops every Thursday on iTunes and blah, 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 all those other places. Excellent. The internet. The internet, yes. A series of tubes bringing you entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I've got another idea. Words with Sabotage. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, uh, where we talk about the original series and William Shatner every single week. Uh, you can also find Max and I uh, on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Trackstars off-topic with our friend Brandon. <laughs> and you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Sabotage. So that's it for William Shatner's work on Star Trek. And we will be back next week to look at the first movie in the Shatnerverse, Free Sabotage. Enterprise. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Free Enterprise. <laughs>